welcome from zero to hero. I'm Craig from Inspired Mindset, where we talk all things mental health and addictions. Hey, it's Craig from Inspired Mindset, and welcome to another episode of Zero to Hero, where we talk all things mental health and addictions. And today we have the wonderful Tanya, and she's going to talk about her journey through uh, childhood trauma, bad relationships. So welcome, Tanya. Hello. So we'll, might as well get, we'll get straight into it. I just, I'm fascinated about um, having my own experience of mental health and addictions. Um, I'm just fascinated about learning about other people's experiences, etc. So I just thought we'd go back into your, your childhood and... Um, to see how that was and if there's anything traumatic or was a loving loving home or what kind of childhood <laughs> did you have wouldn't we all love to to have that that loving childhood um it was great up to about 10 you know two parents white picket fence you know all that um and then everything goes to sh- to, can I swear? <laughs> everything Go goes it. to shit um parents broke up and went with my mum as an 11 year old child does um went into a caravan park um with her boyfriend the monster uh full of abuse lots of punching lots of seeing my mum being choked had a knife held to my neck um lots of him telling me oh you've got mental problems you're not going to grow up to be anything you can't finish high school um and so, so my memory around that's pretty vague. There was a lot, a lot, a lot of abuse. Um, eventually, my dad just came and got me because it was much safer with him, and was yeah, just normal at home. And I was a moody fourteen-year-old teenager. And then the next year, we actually lost my mother. She died of cancer. Um, moving into adulthood. I had one very quick failed marriage when I was 19, divorced by 20, um, and then met another guy at 23 um, and then slowly got pulled into the grips of narcissism. Um, He was very controlling, but I just didn't, it was very slow, didn't see it happening. And my mental health deteriorated, ended up in a... um, a psychiatric emergency ward at 23 or 24 years old. Uh, they're like, yeah, you have anxiety, you have PTSD, you have this, you have that. I, I, I can't even tell you the names of some of them. I, I don't remember. Um, so went on medication for that and was very like, he was very like, oh, if you ever leave me, you won't have money to look after yourself. Um, you're not smart enough to like look after yourself. Um So it was a long time of sitting at home depressed. I was seeing a psychologist. Like she she was great and I still respect her a lot, but I just wasn't wasn't going anywhere. I was staying at a uh, just at the same level. Um, And this was about the stage where I started doing my hypnosis training. And um, I'd been having hypnosis from my psychologist and of friends and it was so bad at home, I think, but I refused to see it that it just wasn't getting anywhere. Um, so yeah, by tw- twelve years into that relationship, which is uh, eight and a half months ago now, I told my cheating ex to 
get out of my house. So um, two months after that, I came off antidepressants with the help of my fantastic counsellor and a GP. Um, and I, well, I haven't done any shows yet because of COVID, but looking to get back into doing my hypnosis shows and life's looking a lot better. Well, you've been through so much there. There's so much to unpack. Um, congratulations yeah. for coming out the other end. So yeah. Go, you've, yeah, very traumatic. So if we, if we go back to your, your childhood with the, uh, the stepfather, how, how long did that go on for? How, how many years? And um, did he lay hands on you or was this verbally abusive to you? Yeah, I think, I think it was um, probably three or four years. But when you're that age, every year is, is much longer than it is now that we're, we're adults. Um, but I think in reality, it was three or four years. He was smacky with me. I still do have some scars from being thrown onto furniture. And um, I do recall several occasions when he was pinning my mother down that I grabbed him and then ended up flying through the back door. But what I remember most is the verbal, the verbal. But um, thank, thank God there was never sexual abuse there because that would have been next level. I know it's a, probably a difficult question. Um, you may not be able to answer this, but mm. what were the reasons? Did your mum try to leave or it was just hard for her because she had a daughter and she wasn't financially in a good place to leave? Or what do you, do you recall at that time? What was happening? Well, I think, I think she did talk about leaving, but yeah. this um, the monster, we'll call him, um, he he was very much like he'd take the spare car keys and we were in rural, um, I don't know if you know of Foster up up the mid-north coast. Um, so we were past that in a little town, I think, can't even remember what it was called, Darawank, Darawank. So away from everything. So um, we, we hitchhiked away sometimes, but um, he was very much like, oh, if, you, if you leave, I will kill you. If you leave, I'll put a knife to your daughter's neck. Um, so my only escape sometimes was just going to school and telling my friends who would tell the teachers and tell my dad and he would go, wait, why can't I get custody of my daughter? So then it was in foster police's hands too. Well, that's a, that's a powerful, um, experience you've been through and very unpleasant. How did you cope with that? How did you, um, did you have outside escape, like with your friends or hobbies or how did mm. you actually deal with all that abuse? Um, so I remember internalizing a lot, like, um, I remember coming home one day and having homework as you do in, as a child, I had to read a book or something and it was due like the next day. So I had to read it. Um, and he was funny about turning lights on and went absolutely nuts to me. I was like, okay. So I jumped out the window and ran down the road and read it under a streetlight. Um, but I do remember just sitting in my room a lot. Um, I had a little torch that my dad gave me. Um, so I'd go underneath the blanket and use a torch. Or um, I'd just sit and cuddle my dog or look at my posters. Or This was like 1998-ish, so there wasn't any internet. <laughs> Jeez, that sounds so a difficult time. Um, yeah. Definitely. So how, how was your mental health at this stage? Did you understand what was, were you getting depressed or angry or just coming like a bit reclusive? 
I think I was depressed and angry, but I didn't have the words to form that. Um, I do remember going to see the school counsellor a lot and um, a rural school counsellor. I, I don't think he had a degree. I remember coming to him in tears one day after I, um, I, I remember getting really frustrated in a class and obviously something had happened at home and I chucked a, I chucked a chair across the room, which was completely out of character because I, I was a very quiet kid. And the, the teacher didn't get angry. She was like, go, just go, go, Tanya, go see the counsellor. So I went to him and I remember saying something that had happened. And he goes, oh, that's good. But how's that different from the last time you came and saw me? And I was like, ah, uh, because it happened again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He definitely sounds he wasn't uh, qualified. No. <laughs> Probably so, the garbo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's uh, times are tough. So, um, what about your social life at this at this time? Were you were you partying, drinking, or anything uh, using marijuana or anything like that to escape? No. <laughs> Looking back, that would have been good if I was. Um, no, I. So I also suffered from bullies at school, um, and they picked on me for what whatever my hair, my t-shirt, even though we're all in uniforms um they they'd say apparently some girl at the school was the monster's niece twice removed so she would bully me through other people I never never met her because I think she made sure I never did I'd be like oh tell Tanya to leave my uncle alone like uh no <laughs> um so I I did have a small group of friends um, but a lot of the times I'd, I'd spend my lunches in, um, what they called the quiet area. And that was more for children with learning disabilities, because that was the only place where I could sort of get away from the bullies. So my so social circle was usually very limited. Sounds very hard for you. Fortunately, sadly, your mum passes away and then you, you go and live with your father. How, how was that? Yeah, well, I actually, um, from memory, moved in with my dad probably a year or so before she got sick. And um, at this stage, she'd actually left the monster because he went to jail, <laughs> which was good. Um, so she had a carer slash boyfriend living with her. Um, and I was spending a little bit more time with her, but dad was closer to school, so that was easier. Um, but losing her was... I again I, I think I've repressed a lot of the the feelings I had but it was it was just shocking couldn't believe it I remember I'll never forget walking back into that room she she told her carer that she didn't want me there when she passed away um so my dad being her um I, I can't think of the word but he still looked after some of her paperwork and that was only because I was in the picture and her mental health was not good. Um, so it was my dad, her carer and myself in the room. And apparently, as I've been told as an adult, the way she looked at the carer, he looked at my dad and my dad knew it was time to take me out of the room because she was ready to pass. And so we came back into the room half an hour later and I reached out with my right hand just to sort of rub her leg. And in my head, I knew the way she's lying there, the position she's in, she, that's not a that's not the right position. She'd be in pain like that because the cancer had spread. 
And it was just at that moment, the nurse said, I'm, I'm so sorry, Tanya. So I, I grabbed my dad's phone out of his pocket, obviously to, to ring a friend, don't know who I rang. Um, and yeah, ran down the corridor, found a free room and dialed in a number. <laughs> Did you go and see like a, a counsellor during that period or you kind of just repressed the emotions and just kind no, of soldier on? I, I, I didn't know much about counselling or any of that. So my, my main parent was my dad who... <laughs> Is it a counselling type person? Um, so I, I think I, I spent like that night at my friend's house, and she tried to keep me up all night by dancing. She was she was funny, um, like she just kept waking me up and saying funny stuff just to to try and make me laugh. Um, I, I think I had a week or two off school, but then I really wanted to go back to school for Mufti Day. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> What's Muffy Day? <laughs> oh, well, you, you get a school dressed up in your favourite clothes instead of your uniform. Ah, yes, yep, yep. Priorities. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, um, we never had uniforms, so we kind of just wore what we want every, every day. So we were quite lucky or unlucky in that regard. So Yeah, oh, our, our uniform was pretty casual being a country school and the only one in the area. Um, it wasn't until like year 12 when they were like, oh, you guys need uniforms. And I was like, ah, oh, I'm not buying a uniform for 10 months of school. <laughs> <laughs> so so you completed school and and you yeah. mentioned that um, you found a boyfriend or you met a boyfriend around 19, at the age of 19. Was that Yeah, so, so at this stage, so I, I finished school. I, I'm the only one in my family who's ever finished school. So that's me. I well done. didn't awesome. get a, um, a UAI or whatever they call it nowadays. I wasn't eligible, but I did pass. So that's good. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, so I, I did a year of student exchange overseas and came back, moved to Sydney for work. Uh, met a guy whilst I was working at a car wash. <laughs> Cliché. Um and I was still a pretty naive country bunkin. Um, he moved in with me. Like, I blinked my eyes. He literally moved in with me. And then was like, oh, my visa's about to expire. So either I'm going back to my home country. I won't name it because I don't want to shame them. Um, I'll either go back to my home country or we'll get married. And naive 19-year-old Tanya said, oh, let's get married. <laughs> um, so he pretty quickly merged bank accounts. I was on a manager's salary. So he was getting all my money and I wasn't seeing a penny. And then uh, he was just lying on the couch all day, getting fatter and fatter and fatter. And I, I actually don't remember what triggered the last day, but I just said, this can't happen anymore. Get out. But I, I think I, I, I actually left and stayed with a friend for a couple of weeks and yeah. We, we called that quits. <laughs> so understandable. And <laughs> so he's, you kind of met him and he kind of like a bit of a leech. and Yeah, he wanted a visa. So uh, yeah. I did uh, bump into him about five years after and I was with my my just gone ex um, before times got too bad with him. Um, and I, I was walking through the food court um, at the shopping centre where I was working and I just see this big lump of human stand up waving 
Tanya, do you remember me? And I bolted into like the nearest store. I'm like, if he chases me in here, I'll get them to call the police. It's just hey. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, they pop at the most random times. Oh, it's not good. And after this uh, relationship, did you, um, how was your mental health at this stage? Was it okay? And so no so after that relationship i moved into a very small um uh like single roomed apartment and i had a shared bathroom with a neighbor um she was a piece of work she used to purposely use up all the hot water just to spite me um and i was in a pretty deep depression i again i still didn't understand what that was i'd never seen a counselor a proper counselor or anything um, I spent every waking hour that I was at home on the computer, just in chat rooms, chatting to people. I still have a few good friends that I'd met in chat rooms, but um, put on a lot of weight, just ate shit all day um, and pretty much just cried. If, if I was on the computer, I cried. It's it's, it's a horrible period going through that, uh, that deep depression. I remember when I was going through it with the addiction, like I'd just randomly cry and break down and, mm. and it's really hard because you don't know how to express it. Uh, I wasn't seeing a, a counselor or a psychologist. And um, then we fall into that loop, hey, where we just kind of repeat the same, the same thing day in, day out. We don't, we have the same mindset, that negativity. And then, um, then sadly for me, and I'm pretty sure it would have happened for you as well, is that you get the anxiety and then it's mm. even hard to go out. Like it took me five days just to go and get a haircut to get the enough courage to leave the house. So yeah, how did, um, how did depression feel for you? How did that look for, for you? So, so somehow in my crazy mind, I managed to keep my full-time job, um, which was hard work and I, I did I did eventually leave I nearly got fired at one stage because I did something very stupid um but kept it and then eventually left um but that that I, I don't want to talk about the stupid thing I did but it was all triggered by the depression um but I look I I, I don't know I just spend hours online just talking nonsense with people or sometimes I'd sit at home in the corner of my room and convince myself I could see ghosts in my room. I'd be like, oh, that ghost must be my mother. And then I'd talk to the wall for 20 minutes, <laughs> which is just crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. I'll take my hat off to you for um, keeping a job. That's very difficult, especially when you go for extreme depression. Like, um, yeah. I was getting... Um, I lost my job. I was getting a severe, um, like suicide thoughts. And so mm. I was going home. For th that was my safe place. So I was meant to be out in the field driving around and I'd go home at lunchtime or for a you know, half hour, 40 minutes. And we weren't allowed to take the work vehicles home. And I kind of got dobbed in and I kind of lost uh, my job after 27 years of employment. So it was kind of, it was embarrassing that you know but that was the only way I could cope at that stage that was the only way I knew how to um go to a safe place but yeah we kind of learn and you get through it and uh, it mm. kind of makes you stronger so yeah I, I really um that's commendable that you kept a job going through that uh, deep depression yeah 
I, I just kept it by the, the skin of my skin of my teeth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you meet a, your new, a new partner around 23? Yeah, yeah. so I was 23. And um, the story was we were at a mutual friend's son's first birthday party. And I, I, I still love the story about how we met, even though I hate him with the passion of my soul um so it was my our mutual friend's son's birthday party and when the son got put to bed we all got drunk and played truth or dare and we were dared to kiss and um yeah years into it everyone was like hey guys stop you've won truth or dare it's okay and i still have that title of winning truth or dare even though they talked that he's been excluded from the group I still am the winner of Truth or Dare. <laughs> Just find a man at all worth it, hey. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like one of those American movies, those teenage movies where they're all at the party. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that progressed pretty quickly after the party, I guess? Yeah. So um, he very quickly moved in with me, but that was more of a situation where I was looking for a flatmate. I was living in a proper house, a proper big apartment by this stage. Um, I was looking for a flatmate. And as he told me, he was looking for somewhere to live. He'd actually already, a uh, story has come out after, he'd already had a place teed up and these play, people had cleared the room for him and were expecting him to start paying rent, but the rent never came because he um, moved in with me. <laughs> Yeah, so that that was the first the first um, showing of his honesty. <laughs> and that um, and so I guess that you did you see the warning signs in the first year or a couple of years, or you're kind of oblivious to like a lot of us when we're mm. young and we don't got we got the blinkers on. How'd you find? Well, that? I think there were there was a few things like um, I think I went and did some um, free NLP training somewhere, and it was for a week or three or four days or something like that. And he'd said to me initially, oh, yeah, I'll come. Um, I've had work approved days days off. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was great. I'm going to be in this big crowded place and I'll have a friend. Um, and then the day before he was like, I can't come. I'm going to get fired if I come. I'm like, you're lying to me through your teeth. So no, no, no. My boss said I can't come. I'm like, oh, you're lying to me, but whatever. And it was like, I remember him saying like lots of different things that didn't quite add up, but because I'd just come out of this big depression and the last relationship, I was like, nah, nah, I, I must be the crazy one, not him. I'm the crazy one. That's a, that happens a fair bit that um, they kind of twist around onto ourselves or yourself. And so what living with a, a narcissistic person, what how, can you explain that to me and the viewers, like uh, the listeners, sorry, that um, what's what, what's that like? How, what type of things happen? And Well, it's easier to point out the stuff that happened towards the end because that's when his true colours sort of shone in the last three or four years. I mean, I, I, I did try to leave, I think it was early on, two or three years into it, um, I tried to leave. I, I don't remember what we're fighting about, probably something ridiculous. And this is when we're still in my my big apartment that I had. And I told him, oh, I think I think it was about money. And I mean, I, I, I work in retail, still have the, the same job. Um, I'm on close to minimum wage. Uh, probably was on minimum wage back then, actually. And I said, that's fine, get out. 
because he was getting angry about me uh, about bills. I'm like, yeah, you have to obviously pay your half, your rent, and if you're living here with me, you should understand you've got a. He was like a not an architect, but like one step down, um, earning big money. I'm like, you you kind of have to if you're in a relationship and you're earning five times the amount as the other person, you kind of are expected to to chip in a little bit more. But um, so I said, fine, get out. That's fine. Just leave. If you, you don't want to pay more, just leave. And he's like, oh, you'll never be able to live anywhere. You're going to become homeless if I'm not here. What are you going to do? How are you going to afford stuff? I'm like, that's fine. I'll find somewhere else to live. No, no, you won't be able to afford it. You won't get accepted anywhere. Blah, blah, blah. So that, that's fine. I'll go move in with my father. No, 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 don't do that. You'll go crazy, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, fine. But I mean, in the last few years, like I, I got this place where I live now. This is mine. I own it. Um, he didn't put in a cent towards buying it. So and luckily, it's old inheritance money that my dad helped me put together, got this place. Um, so being an apartment, you have strata that comes around every three or four months. It's a grand, just over a grand. I used to pay the whole lot. And um, like he was uh, staying at home for work. I set up the office in, in the bedroom. Uh, I had to pay the internet. I had to pay the electricity. I had to buy the food. Yeah. Oh, oh well. <laughs> so it sounds like he was... Didn't want to pay his share, but he was also keeping you trapped in that relationship and trapped where you had to, you had to um, struggle a bit just to survive and keep that relationship. Yeah, well, like I'd go out to to check the mailbox and I'd, I'd come back with like an electricity bill. I'd be like, "Hey, there's an electricity bill. <gasps> oh, fine, fine, that's fine. Like, how much is it? Let's say, oh, three hundred twenty bucks. Oh." $320, oh, and, like, it would be paid late or I'd just pay it because you get the discount if you pay it on time. So I just paid it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, more towards the end, he um, got into, well, we got into dancing initially together. I suggested it as a thing to do together because we weren't spending any time together. Um, I also have asthma, so doing like I, I go to the gym and stuff, but doing something like dancing, it was um, I don't know if you're familiar with 1950s swing dancing. Um, it's pretty high intensity, especially for the girl because we do lots of spins and shit like that. Um, so I, I get tired. And so we eventually got asked by the teachers if we wanted to be part of their performance troupe. And I said no straight away. Like, nah, I, I don't feel comfortable being thrown up in the air and doing spins up in the air. I've also got a bad back. Uh, but he he said he wanted to do it. I'm like, that's fine. Go do it. But this led to him being out every night, every second night till unearthly hours, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, without texting me he'd be dancing with I'm not a jealous person if my partner's friends with the girl that's fine I've got most of my friends are guys um but he wouldn't text me he wouldn't tell me he's going out so I'd be at home waiting twiddling my thumbs and he'd be like oh sorry I'm out um so it was a lot of lack of communication and just 
in the end, I was like, you can't just be dancing. And right through COVID too, he found ways to go out to a park with one or two of them. Um, like this, this is getting a little bit beyond practice. This is you, you, you at least cheating with time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And that's, um, it kind of, uh, it, it creeps into a relationship and then next minute you, you kind of like two ships in the night just passing each other when you kind of lose yeah. that communication. So it's, yeah, it's really hard. Um, if we can go back a little bit, if you don't, if you don't mind, um, hmm. do you mind talking about the experience in the psych ward at that younger age? Yeah, no, um, that's, I'd love to share. Um, so the way I ended up there was, um, so I think I said I was like 25, 26 ish. I, so again, I didn't know what the anxiety was or what anxiety was or the panic or anything. I just knew I was not sleeping. I went, I think it was three or four nights with no sleep. And I can't describe to you what that does to your mind. But I was basically just crying. Every single day, every single minute, I was crying. So I was like, this is crazy. I think I was actually in holidays from work. So I also didn't have that to occupy my mind. Um this is crazy what's going on I went to the GP and I said look I'm not sleeping he said look here's some uh temazepam I'll never forget that word um little tablets and they said they'll knock you right out this is what they use in the, the army I'm like wow this must be great so that night before bed I took whatever the dosage was one or two tablets one o'clock I'm still lying there staring at the ceiling going this is not working so I went back and took four more tablets. Obviously, in the morning, I was wired, no sleep again, because two tablets knock you out, four tablets is too much, it keeps you awake. Um, I In the morning, I was, not, I was not right. I was thinking about running upstairs and jumping off the balcony. I was not, not, not good. And I was like, this, uh, luckily, I was able to identify this even without, with the lack of knowledge of counselling or therapy. Um, I hadn't studied it at that stage. I was like, I, this isn't right. I need to go back to the doctors. Thank God. So, um, yeah, I went back there and um, they put me straight into like the, um, just at the GP with the, nur the nurse's room where they give you needles they, they put me in there, gave me like a little curtain. They're like, You're, we've called you an ambulance. You're staying here until the ambulance came. They actually took my phone off me. Um, they're like, you just lie there. And I was kicking up a fuss. I was like, give me my phone back. Um, they're like, no, no, this is for your own safety. Um, and from memory, the ambulance never came. They actually called my next of kin, which was still my dad. I hadn't changed it over. Um, he came and took me to the hospital. And they admitted me straight to the um, emergency psychiatric unit. And um, they gave me a lot of drugs. <laughs> they gave me a lot of drugs and I slept very well. Um, and so with that, I, I, I only remember bits and pieces from there. And that was the nurses checking on me a lot during the nights and checking my pulse and I was telling them to fuck off don't touch me um and I do remember they eventually gave me a list they said you need to see a psychiatrist you've got anxiety at this stage this is all they 
they were able to diagnose me with. So I, I picked a psych, psychiatrist or psychologist, psychologist at random. And um, at this stage, I've been self-studying hypnosis for a while, so I knew about it. Um, and I saw her in the very first session I had with her. She's like, okay, we're going to do some breathing exercises. And then the language she's using, I remember thinking, that sounds like hypnosis. <laughs> and then we get to the end and I'm opening my eyes. I was like, that was hypnosis. And the look on her face was like, oh, you found my secret. I was like, it's okay. I know what it is. It's fine. Uh, so I saw her for years and she was, she diagnosed me with everything, anxiety, depression, um, PTSD, um, I borderline dissociative disorder, um, or, uh, OCD, but thought-based. Um, so, so she helped me a lot, but, um, like I did progress with her a lot. I was like, I learned to sleep, which was great. Um, so she just gave me a lot of techniques, some of which I still use to fall asleep at night. Um, but in the end, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't progressing. No, you're right. I, I, I saw that. <laughs> I was you're like, do it. I laugh at you? Or? <laughs> so, um, Okay, well, one, two, three. So the um, the hypnosis, like that, kind of really helped me coming out of uh, my depression and with the um, the addiction, the self like the self hypnosis. And so, had you? So that was your first experience with, with hypnosis with the um, the psychologist. No, um, so I'd actually found um, a couple of websites. Um, so. I did an online course with an American, American hypnosis course. I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. So I had a little diploma through them. And if my memory serves me right, I'd done several just small stage hypnosis courses with different trainers who'd come over to Australia. Um, but no, like, formal training. I did my formal training for hypnotherapy um when I was I want to say like 26 27 so just after that yep yep so yeah it's a, it's such an amazing tool and um and it's it's a shame that it hasn't really it's not mainstream like with uh, mental health and um addictions yeah. because it's such a, a positive uh tool that make, it makes changes so quickly and um which you which you can um agree with um oh absolutely with the psychologist, did they get you on antidepressants or any other medication? Yeah, so um, I so I think the psychiatrist is the drug doctor. I think psychologist is the talkie doctor. Um, so when I was staying in the hospital, they they gave me a referral to a psychologist, and he put me on. Um, I think initially I was on something else. I don't remember the name of it, but I was having head spins. I wasn't able to think straight I was losing minutes of the day went back and then he put me on Lexapro um so I was on Lexapro up until five months ago which I finally came off it woohoo um, well done awesome yeah that was I thought I was never going to be able to come off it but finally did it um it was a rough two weeks with the withdrawals but um so much better at the other side of that so for the listeners out there, what, what's the Lexipro? How does that affect you and what's it meant to do? How's it meant to help you? So it just kind of, 
I see, even when I was on it, I used to go to the GP and say, I don't think this is working because I'm still anxious. I'm still having panic attacks. It was almost like it was creating the anxiety and the panic attacks, which funnily enough is a side effect of Lexapro, which is meant to stop the anxiety. Um, But the doctor said, no, you were in the psych ward. You need to stay on this. So I stayed on it, but um, it it kind of just, it fogs your mind, it fogs your receptors. Um, but now that I'm well and truly out of the withdrawals, other than not having terrible panic attacks all the time, I don't know if I feel different. You think it's, it probably didn't have much of an effect? And if I it think did- it made me more anxious, yeah, but then yeah. it's hard to judge because I was with my ex then. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, no yeah. that's understandable. Like, because um, I've got bipolar, like, um, we sometimes we get some of the symptoms is that we get uh, really bad suicide uh, ideology. Mm. And coming out of the uh, addiction, like, we've done a bit of damage to the brain and it takes a while for it to repair itself. And um, so I was given the, the strongest dose of the antidepressants, which I've been on now, up till now. And I've just started to reduce it and um so i'm going to try and reduce it steadily and come off it um it just made me think the other week when i went out drinking and and stuff i got really bad um i still get depressed but i'm able to Mm. use the coping skills to to overcome it you know the the positive thinking and a bit of hypnosis but um it just got me thinking that i i I still got the suicide thoughts so Mm. and doing more research into it like um the research says that with the antidepressants, et cetera, it only, it's only really effective for 25% of the population. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm really looking forward to take, uh, re- get it reduced, come off it with, of course, with the aid of a doctor and just see how everything goes because, yeah. Yeah. So with anything with bipolar and um, people with schizophrenic or uh, constant depression, um, we, we, they tell us that we should have, have antidepressants for the rest of our life, but then you wonder how much, how much is that going to be affecting our, our brain and our body? And there are side effects, you know, with weight gain. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so, so that's amazing that you've come off it. Come off it just after you left your ex-partner? Yeah, so I left him in August and then I think it was um, probably late October, early November that I came off the medication. It took so much convincing to, to get off it. I was terrified. But, um, yeah, it's definitely worth it in the end. Awesome. And so are you, going, are you still seeing the social worker or a counsellor at the moment? Counsellor, yeah, yeah. I see him um, once a month and... Yep. I think I've just I've made so many changes um, in my confidence and like what anxiety? What's anxiety? <laughs> I'm not feeling that all the time. Um, it, it still comes and goes, and I think that's something I'm going to have to just deal with. But yeah. the way I I I cope with it now is just so much different. Yeah. Uh, and it's really good to, that you've seen that counsellor and, and um, it's just good to vent, you know, catch up and even little small goals and uh, goal setting. It's, it's, it's so helpful, yeah. especially for mental health. And um, so, and you said something there very important. Um, I get a bit frustrated when I see other hypnotherapists or NLPs saying they're going to cure, 
cure all these different elements like anxiety like anxiety anxiety is always going to be there it's always going to come and go as you mentioned Mm. so there's no real cure but there's great techniques how we can um to you know even do this if to do this podcast like um i'm sure when we were both anxious and depressed it would have been really hard to to reach out and and to share to other people so what are your favorite steps what what kind of do you need use techniques on a daily basis to help your anxiety or just when you need to i think um for me remembering to breathe is is huge because um well Today, I'll use today as an example. Um, I'm on a, another medication for, for my health, um, just normal medication. And there's actually a strain-wide shortage of it. And I, I need it to not faint. So it's important. Um, so I was very anxious straight away when I found out that there's not going to be any in stock until October. I'm like, well, I've got four tablets left and October's more than four days away. So um, I went to the to a GP at the shopping centre where I work. I'm like, well, this is going to be a hard one, but I'm on this medication. You need to help me. And he said, the look on your face, I thought you were angry at me for, for waiting. I'm like, no, no, I'm just anxious and trying to breathe. Um because I found that, so I still, after I found out about the shortage, I still had to work for another two and a half hours. So at work, I'm like, my brain, I, again, I have OCD and it's thought-based. So my brain's going medication, medication, you're going to die. Medication, you are going to die. You're going to faint. You're going to be sick. You're going to die. And I just keep bringing it back going, look, Tanya, there's a keyboard, a computer, there's a sneeze screen, bringing myself back to what's going on in the present moment and then every so often going hey Tanya are you breathing oh no I'm not thank thanks Tanya and <laughs> going on with that so it's it's a lot of reminding myself to be in the present moment yeah so that's a bit of uh, mindfulness that you've really narrowed down to to that and it's just the small things like you, a lot of people just hooked on this idea that it's a medication but the, it's just the small little things, like you said, like breathing and um, mindfulness that make a huge difference for anxiety. Exactly. We'll go back to a little bit to the uh, hypnotherapy because we both have a, uh, an interest in this. Um, how, what made you go down that route? Um, I think that I was just so intrigued by it. So I, I initially found hypnosis um, at, well, I was interested in it through through childhood, seeing like, hypnotists on tv i'm like oh my god that's so cool and my parents would be like that's so fake so i go back up to my room and watch it on my little black and white tv that we got from vinnie's so i thought was just the coolest thing ever um and so yeah when i was 19 i went on this little lunchtime cruise and there was a hypnotist and now knowing what i know about hypnosis he was definitely fake hypnotist but whatever it got me so intrigued i was like i need to learn how to do that So I went down a wormhole of um, Googling, I think it was just about a year before YouTube. So I was just Googling what's hypnosis, um, what what is hypnosis, what does it do, how do you do hypnosis, how do you get hypnotized, everything about it. And then I found out it was actually a a therapeutic. I'm like, cool, I can learn how to, to help people. Started off with the passion of stage hypnosis and entertainment um decided to learn to be a therapist tried working in a clinic for a while 
hated every minute of it. So <laughs> with that, um, and I just love, I love being the center of attention. So <laughs> stage <laughs> hypnosis it was. Um, perfect. <laughs> and I, I've made a few doctors just drop, drop, jaw drop. And they're like, hang on, you have all these mental health conditions, but you can stand on a stage in front of two, 300 people and do a show. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm hiding under a hat. I'm hypnotist Tanya when I'm on the stage. I'm not Tanya. I'm hypnotist Tanya. She's a different person. And in a way, that's kind of like your your therapy. Like um, I've kind of played football. I've gone back to playing footy after a few years. And that's kind of my therapy. I don't have to think except for what's in a, the chasing that football. But for that two hours or whatever, that's like my going to church. It's just, it's just relief for me. Is that how exactly. um, is that how you find going on stage? Yeah, well, um. The last show I had was just pre-COVID and um, it, it was a setback in my mental health at the, at the time because my um, assistant was my ex um, or part, part, current partner at the time and um, I'd said to him, hey, I have this show booked, it's for a wedding, it's going to be huge, um, I need you to help me and obviously being, yeah, yes, hmm. I don't want to say my fiance because it makes me want to vomit. Um, partner at the time, um, you would go, yes, yeah, sure. I will drop my dancing plans. And oh, sorry, cat on the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> Came out of nowhere. Um, I will drop my dancing plans and help you. No, it was, how dare you? That's so-and-so's birthday party. I, I have to go to their birthday party. And this was in the car in front of two friends. And I said, um, so you're my fiance. How about you ditch the birthday party and you help me? In the end, uh, it took a week of him getting convinced. Um, and I had another friend come to help with the camera. And it was the first time that he met my ex. After I left my ex, he said, on that night, I only met, met your ex once, but I could see he wasn't treating you right. So it was so obvious to other people. But, uh, I mean, that show was a blast. I had so much fun. They were great volunteers. But in the bottom of my stomach, I felt that knot of anxiety because I thought, what, what's he going to say to me when I get home? Is he going to help me pack up the car? Is he going to get angry at me because he missed that bitch's birthday party? And it was another week of, oh, I missed her birthday party. And then this girl at dancing was angry at me because I missed her birthday party. And, oh, my God, it's a birthday party. You're an adult. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And as you said, that's your um, fiancé. Like, you, you know, you should yeah. have variety. So he's um, he's kind of shown his true colours there. He, he really did. And I, I was um, – I, I messaged a couple of friends because I, I knew – I really knew at a level that this isn't how you meant to get treated. And I messaged a couple of friends and they said that he shouldn't be making you feel like that. But I think that that night just hurt me so much that even though like I've, I've learned to do sound by myself, I've done a mini show since then and did my own sounds. It was just at my own house. It's still got the thing like, oh, what's going to go wrong? Who's going to help me? What if I get in trouble? Like, no, no, there's no one there who's going to yell at me now. I just got cats that ask for food. So, <laughs> <laughs> those damn cats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> going through the, those experiences with the exes, I mean, it, 
it's horrible, it's hard and it's heartbreaking. But like going through it now, you, you, you seem to come across like you gain so much strength and wisdom. And I think um, you got so much, you'll have so many uh, new boundaries for the next person you meet that it, the way you will be treated and the way you won't yeah. be treated. I um, definitely am not, I'm not thinking about relationships at the moment, but I have had a couple of dates and um, just uh, all, all pretty terrible. <laughs> I met one guy and I said, oh, I've got to go. It's pretty late. Like, got work tomorrow. And he goes, yeah, I've got to go home to my wife and kids. I was like, what? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> to go to work but you've got a wife and kids um I've, I've just met some crazies whereas i know before i would have been like oh I'll give them a chance i'll give them a chance and i'm like yeah nah yeah and then i was i was kind of seeing someone i'm like you know what i'm not doing a distance relationship yeah nah <laughs> luckily we've we've become friends which is good yeah awesome. um but i just just a thought and i i mean Earlier in the week, I had two guys that I know in real life asked me on dates on the same day. And I just had, I actually had a bit of a meltdown. I was like, no, I don't want to go out with anybody. Leave me alone. Back up with the um, the hypnosis. Is that, is that oh, in the plans? Go away. Um, <laughs> he's jumping on me. Um, it, it is, but I have a huge fear and I don't know what my block is. So that's something I'm working on at the moment. No, that's um, mm. and and they always pop up like you know, we're all human. I'm gonna have some blocks pop up. Um, I've had some recently, and and it's just good that when we get that self awareness, that we can look at stop and think, oh, okay, there's a block there or there's a problem. What is it, and how am I gonna fix it? And um, that's that's really a good thing I learned from hypnosis and the mindset type of things. I'd like to ask you. What, what advice would you give someone going through your experiences with the, um, the relationships, the narcissistic relationships? What, is there any advice that you could give someone um, that's maybe going through it? Yeah, and uh, that's something that I, I, my, in my heart every month, on the 10th of every month or just around, sometimes I get excited and share a couple of days beforehand, I share my freedom anniversary posts. And it's about seeing the signs and I like for me I saw the signs early and that was as little as him hiding his phone locking his phone not letting me near his phone not helping with bills or getting angry over like we'd be driving and I'd start singing in the car and he'd get angry at me look for these signs if you don't don't think straight away oh mate maybe this is bad maybe it's not but you can call 1-800-RESPECT talk it over with them they're going to say to you Hey, you're not crazy. This is actually, this is actually narcissistic abuse, um, or this is mental abuse. I had mental abuse and financial abuse. They're, they'll break it down for you. They'll help you break it down. One eight hundred respect is a fantastic, like number, free number to call. Yeah, well, that sounds like an amazing organisation, and and I guess a lot of people and males too. Um, we don't actually know there's that, that type of help that could actually help you because with mental abuse, it's very hard to, if it's your first time you experienced it, I guess it's very hard to understand what it is and how it occurs. So have those organizations and have you mentioned mention that and your experiences is very helpful for others. So no, thank you. Yeah. For that. No, no, you're welcome. Awesome. Thanks, Tanya.